Boners and bush. Guts and poop and lesbians. Butter as a sexual lubricant. And Elizabeth Berkley. This month marks the 25th anniversary of the first NC-17 movie ever released, so we're digging back through film history to talk about the rise and fall of NC-17. This is Slums of Film History, a lowbrow look into the high art of cinema. Every episode is an in-depth look into a niche topic of film that is not normally discussed in polite company. I'm Slate. And I'm Tom. In each episode, each one of us researches our respective topic, writes an episode, and then schools the other. We discuss everything from bodily fluids to TNA to exploding heads. If there's a film subject that's too taboo, we haven't found it yet. Welcome. Tom. Hey, Slate. How are you? I'm good. Yourself? I'm good. Thanks. All right. So this is the third episode of Slums of Film History. That it is, yes. We've talked about cannibalism. We sure did. Snuff films. Mm -hmm. And now we're on to one of my favorite subjects, which is NC-17, where we can really get into the sex, which (laughs) is really the only reason why I watch movies. It's for sex. I love the sex. Sex is good, yes. Bear with me now. A lot of sure. the beginnings of this are very researchy. We can, I can talk about the NC-17 movies, I will. But the research is really interesting to see how it came about. Okay. So bear with me. Sure. You know, I love the Hollywood Production Code and talking about it. Uh, I won't talk about it this time. Okay. I'll just say that when the Hollywood Production Code finally collapsed in 1968, the Motion Picture Association of America president, Jack Valenti, replaced it with the rating system that we all know now. And, and the reason why they did it a little bit differently is because the Production Code said what films should be made. The MPAA was a guide so that parents knew what was appropriate for children and and what wasn't. So they're not trying to say what types of films should be made or what types of films we should be watching. It's really just a parental guide. So when they first uh, came out with it, they came out with four ratings. And those were G, general audiences, Mm -hmm. M, mature audiences, R, restricted audiences, and X, adults only. And an adult to them was 16 plus. So a 16-year-old could legally go... Well, I mean, not legally, but the theater would allow a 16-year-old to go into an X-rated film. Nice. M was changed to GP, then to PG, because nobody really knew what M meant. Mature is not really a PG movie. Anyone can see a PG movie. Uh, And then um, Steven Spielberg in 1983 used his strong arm to uh, have a new one, PG-13, for Gremlins, specifically in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And in 1990, the X was replaced by NC-17. But we can't really talk about NC-17 until we talk about X, which is kind of where it came from. So when the MPAA came up with the rating system, they trademarked it, of course. They, you know, the MPAA could only rate films with these particular ratings. Sure. But they didn't trademark the X. They trademarked everything else except the X. And they had a good reason for doing this. The MPAA is a voluntary system. You don't have to submit your film to it. Right. But what they wanted is if you were obviously making an X-rated film, they wanted the director and producers to be able to just slap the X on it and then walk away, not even have to submit it to the MPAA. 
this sounded like a great idea. It gave the filmmakers the opportunity to, to skip it all together if they knew they had an X-rated film. But what they didn't expect was that the filmmakers were going to go crazy with the X rating and really use it to drum up attention for an adults-only film. It started as just kind of like, oh, you know, a little X in the corner. And then it was like double X, triple X, quadruple billion X, you know. Right. And uh, other films were trying to out X each other. They were trying to, you know, uh, it, it got out of hand and, and X became synonymous with pornography as right. opposed to, you know, something like A Clockwork Orange, which was an X-rated film. Or Robocop was what? an X-rated film. It was until they cut it down to get the yeah, R rating. I mean, initially, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, films you know, films like Midnight Cowboy, you know, Midnight Cowboy won the Oscar for Best Picture. It was an X-rated film. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. So there so there was a time when X, X-rated films were legitimate films. Yeah. But because they didn't trademark it, they went haywire. Remember that all films have the option of releasing their film unrated, especially if they're submitted to the MPAA and receive a rating they didn't agree with. But... No one's going to see it. Right. We'll talk about that in a bit. We're going to back up a little bit from 1990 to when the first NC-17 film was released to 1985. In 1985, John McNaughton filmed Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, starring Michael Rooker as Henry Lee Lucas, the notorious serial killer. It's kind of loosely based on Henry Lee Lucas. The film made its rounds in the festival circuit, but it didn't find a distributor because it was so violent. It eventually got picked up by Atlantic Entertainment Group on the condition that it received an R rating from the MPAA. It did not. So they dumped it. Grey Cat Films eventually picked it up and released it unrated to try to avoid an X rating. It did okay at the box office. If anything, the controversy probably helped it a little bit just because it was a film for a very small audience in the first place. But interestingly enough, what happened was Roger Ebert reviewed it and he called for a new rating. And that was A for adult. He also mentioned that no possible cuts could qualify it for an R-rated movie, although that's a little hard to corroborate. But have you seen Henry? Oh, yeah, it's been a while, but I saw it. Yeah, I saw it on video. So I watched it again for the podcast to try to determine what I thought, what type of rating. And the few things that I saw that would probably take it out of R category and put it into into X or NC-17 were in the opening they show a woman on a toilet and she has a boob hanging out and she has like a broken wine bottle like embedded in her head. There is a pretty brutal scene where they kill a TV salesman by smashing the TV on his head and then they plug it in and electrocutes him. Yeah. And then there's the scene that you talked about in snuff films where they videotape them killing a couple in their home and one of the guy like fondles the woman after he's already killed her. That one is probably the most upsetting of the scenes just because it's it's gruesome. And then he watches the video over and over again, you know, which is a little, which is it's pretty gross. I mean, is it is the violence any worse than Total Recall or Robocop? Like, Probably not. It's a different type of violence. Right. You know, that the, Robocop and Total Recall are very Hollywood violence. It's shoot em up, kill em. It's very glamorized, and this isn't. It's, it's upsetting violence, whereas, you know, Total Recall is more like video game violence. Well, and also, I mean, there is not a moment of levity in Henry Portrait of Serial Killer at all. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a bleak, depressing fucking film. Whereas even the violence in Robocop and in uh, Total Recall, it 
it's kind of, I mean, the, the scenes, especially the ones that got it, like, well, and the scene that got RoboCop, it's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, you know, well, it's, it's a, it, future, too. I well, mean, it's, it's future, all the but it's future, a robot so, that yeah. shoots the guy in the board meaning and, you know, and blood splatting everywhere. everywhere and he's yeah. getting basically shot apart. And, you know, it's, 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 Verhoeven plays it up for kind of the humorous aspect of just over the top violence. So the tone is totally different, which goes a long way. Right. Um, I mean, it's bloody as shit. And even that film, that scene particularly, you know, at the beginning, had to be cut down to get an R rating. Yep. But even if it hadn't been, you're like, oh, that's gross. But it's not bleak. It's not supposed right. to be based on some sort of realistic type of thing. It's just so over the top sci fi violent that it's. You feel laughable. good coming out of Robocop. And well, yeah. you don't feel very good coming out of Henry Portrait no. of a Serial Nothing killer. makes you feel good about Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. A much different film given an X rating would also debut in 1989, which is Peter Greenaway's The Cook, the Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover. Lovely. That was starring Helen Mirren, Michael Gambon, and Tim Roth. So I just want to say to the listeners if you haven't seen, seen this one this is one to watch you really need to watch it i wish it had aged a little better it definitely does have that kind of late late 80s kind of early 90s you know it might have just been the print that i have you know the the dvd no it's it is and also i'd like to note if you want to be horrified by dumbledore watch that movie there you go because uh, the actor what's his name uh michael campon yeah he he's a fucking monster in that movie Yeah. yeah, it has poop and rape and cannibalism and a penis. You know, it's it's relatively heavy. But Miramax decided to release it unrated as well. It did well at the box office, not great, but it did help to kind of put Miramax on the map. Right. But the failure to give it an R was a, was a real problem. And Roger Ebert, now for a second time, used his glowing review of the film... And he used this quote. And so the MPAA enters its third decade of hypocrisy and serious filmmakers like Greenaway, filmmakers with something urgent to say and an extreme way of saying it, suffer the MPAA's tacit censorship. That was a quote. Wow. So he he slammed them really for a second time. Yeah. They tried to submit the film again. And this time they flew Helen Mirren in from the UK to deliver an impassioned speech about the art of filmmaking and the importance of artistic freedom. Uh, she was denied. They released it unrated. Real quick, it's important to note that the X rating is not just a money problem. It's a chain of events that would cause the movie to fail at the box office. Right. So, and X had a hard time of picking up a distributor, and most studios wouldn't touch X rated films because of moral reasons. Remember, this is kind of like this is coming out of the Reagan years. Right. But let's say that you did get distribution. Most theater chains wouldn't show your film. So even if you could find somebody to get it out there and promote it, theaters wouldn't play it. And then, even if they did, most of the papers, including the New York Times and the LA Times, wouldn't run advertising for an X-rated film. So even though they're advertising all these you know, different types of movies, if it was an X, they would be able to say, we're not going to run that. Right. So then nobody would know about it, then nobody would see it. So the only theaters at that time playing X-rated films were dirty theaters that most Americans would never dream of you know, walking into because they were dangerous, too. Right. So in the summer of 1990, Pedro Mm -hmm. Almodovar released Time Me Up, Time Me Down. It was submitted to the MPAA, and it was given an X rating. Right. Now, it's questionable as to why. I actually just watched it a couple of nights ago, and I don't think it deserved one. It's got a lengthy sex scene in it, which is very non-explicit 
really at all. It's just a lot of close-ups of faces, like having orgasms and like talking through sex. But you know, it's Antonio Banderas. There's no nudity, practically no nudity in it. Right. There is a scene in the beginning of where the actress is in the bathtub and a little wind-up scuba diving toy kind of swims into her vagina. Now, does that show anything? Well, there's two scenes. There's one of which you follow the swimming toy And then it goes, and yes, you can see that it's headed towards a vagina. It's a profile view, so you can kind of only see the like a like a lip as opposed to two lips. Like it goes in, but it's not. You don't see it go in because you can see the other side of the second lip. You know. Our viewers or um, our listeners are loving this. Right. Then there's an overhead view of where you can see Bush. And then you can see it kind of, I mean, it doesn't swim in there and like, you know, flop around. It's a wind up toy. It just kind of good. It just kind of great, you know, it touches it and then it's buzzing. So it's creating a sense of, you know, whatever, but it's not, she's not plowing herself with it. I didn't know. No, I get it. I just, it's now I got to see. Well, I mean, it really is the scene that must, that must have caused it. The, to have an X rating. I mean, it's, it's the scene that you're kind of like, okay, well that makes sense. You know? But it's not aggressive. It's not rude. It, she's not being obscene in any way. I mean, it's she's just kind of like, oh, that's nice. And then it's over. You know what I mean? So right. I did want to watch it, though, just because this is kind of this was the turning point in the MPAA because they got taken to court. So and what Miramax wanted to say was that the MPAA had watched the film in which Antonio Banderas, who's a crazy person, kidnaps a porn star ties her up in in her home and then just kind of like waits around until she falls in love with him, which she does, and then they go off together. Very realistic. They wanted to, and, and, and what Miramax said was that the MPA didn't like the film and they they thought that it was that it was harmful that the x rating was malicious huh and so i actually watched the special features on the dvd it's a criterion film and almodovar says they thought if young men saw the film that they would kidnap and tie up women that they were in love with <laughs> who knows whether that's what they oh, said or God. whether that's what he you said know, they just, said yeah right but he responded i never assume that my viewers are complete psychopaths which is kind of a great response right And then a lot of speculation is that Miramax used the trial to drum up some controversy and basically took the MPA to court to get butts in seats. That one surprised me one bit. Yeah, me neither. I mean, Mm. and, and I think at some point we should discuss doing a podcast episode of tactics, you know, advertising tactics, because there's been so many good ones. It would make sense that that they did this, because on premiere night in New York City, all the cast members showed up in a garbage truck, and also the cake, that the ceremonious cake, was in the shape of the X rating that it got. So they were doing, they were milking it, you know? Sure. Good for them. Miramax did not win the case. No. Um, The judge ruled that, quote, there has been no showing that the X rating afforded timey up, timey down was without rational basis or arbitrary and capricious. Yeah. But he also said the current rating system was dangerously close to censorship since an X rating meant that most theaters would not screen the film on principle alone. And Good point. Yeah. And this time, the third film, Hollywood, took notice. Uh, a petition was drafted and it got signatures from 31 filmmakers, including Spike Lee, Barry Levinson and Francis Ford Coppola, all who had had problems with the ratings board in the past. They called for the A adult rating that Roger Ebert had spoken about, 
But Jack Valenti came back with two options. One was NC-17, and then the other one was RR. And that was a rating that would go in between R and X. So it would be an R rating, an RR rating, and then an X rating, which was synonymous with porn. Yeah. But it wasn't a Miramax film that would be the deciding factor between RR and C-17. It was actually a much bigger player. So on September 26th, Jack Valenti announced that the X rating would be replaced by the adults-only NC-17 rating. And he talked and said specifically, hopefully this will take us back to the days of The Last Tango in Paris, A Clockwork Orange, Midnight Cowboy, films that were adult-oriented but were not pornographic, right. you know, or were not splatter films, you know, films that were just had... Uh, that Mature were themes that treated, you know, that adults... You know, that they couldn't drag their kids to right. kind of thing, yeah. You know, with big name directors, with sure. stars, with, you know, whatever, but that were adult films by nature. He also maintained that any previously rated X movie could now reapply for an NC-17 rating, uh, as did Time Me Up, Time Me Down, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, and The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover all received NC-17 uh, ratings on their VHS and DVD releases. So... There's some fuzzy history here because okay. it's a little unclear as to why Valenti did this in the first place because he was adamantly opposed to, I think, admitting that the X rating had gone bad for them. And in the same sense, Warner Brothers and Paramount were were totally against it. They did not they didn't want to have anything to do with X-rated films anyway. So they didn't even want NC-17. They just didn't even want to talk about it. They were done with it. And remember that the MPAA is funded by all of the major studios. So the studios in, you know, invented the MPAA to keep them on their toes. So they didn't even want to touch it. But what I will say is that along with the announcement, it was also made public that the first film with the NC-17 rating was to open only a few days later. And that wasn't a tiny Miramax film. Remember, Miramax was a tiny, tiny studio at this point. This was Universal Studios' Henry and June. Universal was a, is a giant, giant, giant thing. It was also an MPAA signatory. All of the big studios were. But Universal was not about to drop this topic because the director had an R clause, which meant that if the film didn't get an R rating, then that meant the studio had to step in. But the studio decided to take the director's side, and they persuaded the MPAA to give them the new rating, they had already lost the X-War, they had tried to cut it down for an R, they had gotten rejected again. And the suggestion has been made that they had spent a lot of money on Henry and June. They had realized that it kind of maybe wasn't really that great and they needed the controversy around it. So huh. instead of being another film, which is gonna get an unrated and then Roger Ebert's just gonna be like, no, we have to have this adult rating again. They said that they strong-armed the MPAA because they needed some publicity for the film. Have you, I imagine you've seen Henry and June. I have not. So, Neither have I actually. Yeah. I, read a, I read a bunch of reviews that came out at the time and it's funny because some of the reviews have said and since that having the NC-17 rating was the only thing that was going to anybody was going to remember it for. Henry and June is based on uh, Anais Nin, and kind of like it was her diary, and and she had a threesome. She was married and threesome. It was it was a very tender film. It was not a pornographic movie, right. you know. 
the LA Times in 1990 did an article and they went to, you know, some of the premieres. One of them was in Santa Ana where they actually had protesters. And this is quote, Randy Thomason, 25, who showed up AMC main place armed with stacks of anti-pornography research and carrying a sign saying NC-17 encourages date rape said that oh, there's God, really? good sex and there's bad sex and that he was concerned which Henry and June would promote, especially with kids with raging hormones. No kid would want to see this movie. Right. I mean, it's, exactly. I, mean yeah. I haven't seen I mean, it, but from what I understand, it, they say that it's as boring as all hell and that there's, you know, a couple of like lesbian threesome scenes. But on exit interviews, when you know the people that were coming out of the theater, you know they they thought that it was a pro- they thought it was fine. One person said NC seventeen is a good idea. Adult films should be more available, but a lot of good ones are stigmatized with an X rating. So it seems like the public was starting to warm up to the NC seventeen film. Yeah. And over the next five years, a series of highbrow or art films would be released with an NC seventeen rating. Among these, uh, Bad Lieutenant with Harvey Keitel, yep. The White Sargasso Sea kids and man bites dog people were treating the nc-17 film seriously now and some of them were making money even though they were all small release films nc-17 was only one large scale film away from being legit it just needed the right film to come along and legitimize everything a big name director with a big message a smart sophisticated film that would make money and maybe even get an oscar nomination or two something that would be the poster child for the nc-17 rating what it got with Showgirls. Oh, yes. <laughs> All right. You've seen Showgirls? Really? You had to ask me that? I think uh-huh. I saw it with you. Yeah, I think we did. I think we I saw think it. I think we watched together, it yeah. together. I'm pretty sure. I didn't see it at the at the cinema. I no, I saw old it. enough. Yeah. I feel like we watched it on VHS, VHS at your house. Yeah. Somebody's house. We watched it. We watched it at Sarah Stubby's house. That sounds about right. Okay. Well, it's hard to understand what Showgirls was supposed to be. Because the idea, so so the idea came from uh, Joe Esserhaas, who had just made a fortune off of Basic Instinct and yep. Sliver. He got a two million dollar advance off of the idea, which he had written on a napkin. Right. So he somebody handed him two million dollars when he showed them a napkin, which was the napkin he probably wiped cocaine off his nose with and wrote this down real quick. Probably. Right. And on the surface, I mean, I remember hearing about it and being like, "This sounds good." It is a young, talented, but poor woman who has to navigate the path to stardom in a world where rich, perverted white men run the show. Add to that, yeah, add to that the high school underage fantasy of Elizabeth Berkeley right out of a canceled Saved by the Bell, and a bunch of lavish, topless dance numbers, and the fact that the internet didn't exist yet to be able to masturbate to it in the privacy of your own home, and you would think you would have a big box office success. Yeah. So Showgirls has a place in history for a few reasons. Right. First, it was the widest release of an NC-17 film in history. No NC-17 film before or since has had a wider release. Second, it's the highest grossing NC-17 film of all time, bringing in about $20 million at the U.S. box office. However, its budget was $45 million, which also makes it the biggest flop of any NC-17 film of all time. It was such a flop that major studios put the kibosh on any further big-budget NC-17 films. Right. And that makes sense, because if Showgirls couldn't make any money, then how could anything make any money with an NC-17 rating? No, I mean, I can see why they did it. So I'm going to err on the controversial side of this and say Showgirls is a terrible film. 
even though it has a cult audience now. It's being shown at midnight movies and, and it has a lot of supporters. A lot of people will actually say it's a great film. I disagree. Oh, I totally disagree as well. Caveat, I disagree on the surface. As being a typically good film, not, not even close. Right. And you know, here's the thing too. Paul Verhoeven did Showgirls, directed uh, other movies we just talked about, Robocop, Total Recall. Basic Instincts is a great film. Basic Instinct, yeah, he did that. Yeah. And that, that is a great it's film. It's a terrific film. Um, he's a good satirist. Oh, Starship Troopers, I actually kind of like that. I mean, it's not a good film either, but it's got its moments. At least of... that one was self-aware. Well, and that's why I feel like maybe we need to get Paul Verhoeven on the show and ask him, did you really, like, were you just, like, fucking with everybody when you made this movie? And that's one of the things that I was really trying to figure out is some answers behind Showgirls, which no one's really been able to answer. He did accept his Razzie for Worst Director, so he... He was self-aware of the fact that he had made a terrible movie. My issue is, while they were doing it, it's not, they're not laughing at it enough to be like, we're making a silly film. And, and it was presented in a way that this was a serious film. And I, I would criticize Elizabeth Berkeley's acting more because it was terrible, but it's clear that they told her to act that way. That right. they were coaching her and saying she had never been in a film before. So they're saying, act in this way, which the which no audience member could identify or like you or personalize. You know, I mean, everyone in the film is a despicable, terrible person. Well, and everybody acted. Pre- I mean, Kyle MacLachlan, who I have respect for and who's mm-hmm. done great work for David Lynch and everybody else. Was bad in this film too. Terrible. I mean, Gina, Gina Gershon was terrible as well. Everyone is a terrible character. There, it's not a stripper with a heart of gold. These are rotten people, people that you hate. So it's just a little confusing because right before this, Verhoeven had done Basic Instinct, which was the precursor to this movie. Sharon Stone was a likable character. Right. I mean, you liked her. You wanted her to kill those people. <laughs> so it's not like they didn't know what a likable bad character what a likable murderer was they understood that or a trashy person who may you know have some redeem you know anti-hero type of thing you know where they have flaws but they're still likable as well and paul verhoeven is a solid director i mean I i love him he's great but something happened here this movie it brings up more questions than it has answers yeah and because paul verhoeven knows what good directing looks like mm-hmm. so i feel like he probably they paid a lot of money for this is my personal fantasy of this movie they paid a lot of money for esther haas's cocaine fueled script and then verhoeven halfway through realized this is a shit movie fuck it i'm gonna make the most exploitation like freaking switchblade sisters-esque trash cinema movie and see if anybody notices that's my fantasy version of this movie. Yeah, I think what he thought was that Basic Instinct had made so much money just off controversy that he was just like, it doesn't, it does not matter. Let the nipples run the show and and it's going to make a fortune. Right. And that was not the case. No. Speaking of history, it won one more distinguishable award. It won more Razzies than any other film, NC-17 film, wow. past or present. Good job. I did write down, though, don't cry for showgirls. It went on to make a fortune on home video. It did make a lot of money. fortune. Right. Because that was where people could masturbate to it. So I, I can't think of a masturbatable scene in it. I mean, I guess if you like a flash. It has the most non-sexy nudity 
this side of Schindler's List. Yeah. Well, she's such a bitch. I mean, I don't know. As a straight man, does that is that sexy that she's bitchy? Would it? I feel like it would have been better if she was a down home country girl with a heart of gold. That's something to whack off to. I will say, okay, well, I, maybe this juxtaposition can help you. Gina Gershon and Bound, mm-hmm. sexy. Oh yeah. Gina Gershon and Showgirls, not sexy. No, Elizabeth Berkley, not really sexy at all. I'm, she's probably a nice girl, I'm sure, and I feel bad for her because this movie ruined her it career ruined before her. it took off. I think it ruined took kind off. of her life, yeah. Yeah, it ruined everything. It ruined everybody's life. <laughs> I, I, li- I like her. I, don't, I like her I too. I don't blame her for this. So NC-17 films are now box office poison. Right. But they do great on DVD, right? Like Showgirls. Sure. Not necessarily. So in January 1991, Blockbuster Video... Remember them? Oh, good old cockbuster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what about them? Announced that they would not carry NC-17 films, mostly Fuck. due to Henry and June, which retained its rating, and Time Me Up, Time Me Down, and The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover, all of which were resubmitted and released with an NC-17 rating. At that time, Blockbuster owned roughly 1,800 stores, which was 11% of the video stores in the U.S., and then Kmart followed suit, and then Walmart followed suit, too. Mm. Walmart, even now, their official position is the same. They do not sell... NC-17 DVDs in the store. Although I did get online just to check, and a couple of them, it looks like they, it looks like they've, they've slacked off on that, especially in the online store. Right. Huh. Uh, I did see uh, Bad Education was on there, and so was Shame. So there. Huh. But I don't think if you walked into a Walmart store, you would find an NC-17 movie sitting there in the DVD case. Probably not. Huh? Not that anybody's bought a DVD in ten years, but especially from Walmart. Yeah. One of the first films to avoid the NC-17 rating at the box office was Basic Instinct, which was, as we said, the precursor to Showgirls. Paul Verhoeven trimmed about 45 seconds from four scenes that would give it an R rating. The film was a huge success. It made $350 million internationally. It was then released on video in different editions to please the video outlets. So the most popular being the unrated director's cut, which I had a copy of underneath my bed for, you know, <laughs> probably five years. And then that would kind of set a standard for the next films that would follow. That you'd make the cuts to the film to get an R rating in the theater, knowing that, you know, in less than a year, you could release the director's cut of the unrated copies on, on video, and it would go on to make a second fortune in VHS. Right. And even Blockbuster and Walmart would release unrated films, you know, because God forbid they actually, like, watch a movie and decide whether it's obscene or not. Right. But that's an interesting point, too, is that these movies would carry the, oh, this was originally an R-rated movie, this might have added content, but they didn't care at that point. You know, it didn't already carry the stigma of NC-17 or, God forbid, X or anything else. So it was like, oh, we knew in the theater this was R because it had it was a director's cut now that was unrated or whatever they labeled it as. Right. It, um... They didn't give a shit. I think that they had to, on some moral grounds, being Walmart, you know, say, well, we don't do things that are labeled in this way because we're Christian-owned. And if it didn't have a label on it, then they're like, we don't give a shit. Right. It's fine. Yeah. So obviously this was, you know, and and you probably remember, a slew of unrated videos would be released in the next 20 years. Mm -hmm. Um, From horror films like the Saw series, The Hills Have Eyes remakes, Hostel and Wrong Turn all came out as unrated Sex thriller, Sliver, The Color of Night, and Poison Ivy. Oh, Color of Night. Holy shit. Yep. Yeah. Uh, comedies, The Jackass series, American mm-hmm. Pie, and Scary Movie. All of those were, were had to be recut for our films and then were released uh, unrated. So just a few movies, because I generally only talk about NC-17 films, but a lot of them were cut down to get our films, like American Psycho, Body of Evidence, Boogie Nights, 
Eyes Wide Shut, World War Z, Natural Born Killers, Team America World Police, oh, yeah. and True Romance. All cut down to get R-rated. I don't know about the True Romance part. Yeah. So, what constitutes an NC-17 film? Good question. No one really knows is the answer because the MPAA acts in secret. One of the reasons why they do this is because they say that if you knew who the MPA members are, then the studios could pay them off. But we have been able to determine by what's gotten cut, what hasn't gotten cut, what they consider to be acceptable and not acceptable and down to some specifics. So I devised an acronym to say what would get you an NC-17 over an R, and the acronym is OLDTANG, O-L-D-T-A-N-G-G. And that stands for oral sex, language, drugs, teens, abnormal sex, nudity, gore, and gays. Okay? So starting with my old tang, this is going to catch on. I can I think this is going to be a thing. Guarantee. Yeah, it started here, folks. (laughs) Old tang. Old tang. All right. right. Oral sex specifically. So Blue Valentine in 2010 was given an NC-17. They had a huge public campaign to get it an R rating. And the scene that they said needed to be cut was an oral sex scene. So they didn't show anything. It was a profile view of where Ryan Gosling goes down on Michelle Williams. It's a profile view. You do not see any vagina. You don't see any tongue going in vagina. You just see his head kind of go down behind her leg. And that was the scene that they had problems with. Naked? What? She is naked. I think she's actually wearing a top. I don't remember. I haven't. I did. I only saw it one time. I have a counterpoint to that. Mm-hmm. If I just watched History of Violence again, not so long ago, David Cronenberg movie for those who don't know um, about a guy with a secret. Um, it's a good movie. Watch it. But there's a scene where there she's dressed. They're doing like a cheerleader fantasy high school thing, and they basically sixty nine. But she's wearing her cheerleader outfit, mm-hmm. and so clearly it's an oral sex thing. Right. She's he's going to town on her. She's going down on him, and they, it doesn't linger on it very long, but. Clearly, it's an oral sex scene, and that movie was R. That version was R. Yeah. Well, what they say uh, to you know, but they're clothed too. You didn't see anything. Right, which makes I think makes it a little bit better. I mean, nudity is the N in my old tang. Um, Old tang, you heard it here first. And and what a lot of people online have said that they're actually much stricter on men going down on women than they are women going down on men. That there's a lot of scenes where men are pushing these girls' heads down, you know, or whatever, and they're bobbing around. But the scenes of which women or which men are going down on women is is much more controversial. That's so sexist. It's a little sexist. Do you MPA? I'm not here to pass judgment, but um, I will say that they re so Pink Flamingos in 1972 was an X rating and resubmitted to an NC-17. There is no one that's going to say that that should have an R rating. Right. But there is an oral sex scene in that. As and it's well. a real oral sex scene. It is, and it. I will say that it is a 300. Drag queen going down on her son in the movie while he yells, "Come on, mom, do it!" Like an okay, actor fine. playing her son. Caveat, right? Yeah, but yeah, it's and it's she's she's got a dick in her mouth. Yeah, like, I mean, it's, it's really not happy. a yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that's the O of old tang language, which I thought was really interesting. Clerks, which you and I watched eight billion times on VHS. Yes, and, you know, we did. in the early nineties. Uh, was given an NC-17 rating. They resubmitted, and they won. 
and got to they didn't have to cut the film they did end up getting an R rating right. Summer of Sam got an NC-17 rating hmm. a, a little questionable as to again all of these are questionable because the the MPAA will not give you a written account of why it was given they will talk to you about those things off the record and make suggestions but they will not give you a written out list of what is wrong and what you can cut hmm and to be fair, that falls into censorship. That's what they say. We don't like this, we don't like this, and we don't like this. I thought they did tell, tell them roughly what the scenes were. They can make suggestions of things of why they found it worthy of an NC-17. But they can't say, if you cut this scene, we'll give it an R rating. Because that, that constitutes censorship. Because I know World Police... The way that they got around the MPA. You talk about that. I get into you? it. Okay, yeah. I figure something. Give me a second. Take no, no, no. I won't take it from you. It's in the um, abnormal sex. Oh, good, good, uh, good. Which good. is the A of Old Tang. Yep, you heard this it here first. This is catching on already. All right, yeah. Tell. Uh, and then the documentary Fuck, which is called Fuck. Nice. Um, it's language. The only reason they gave it what uh, an NC-17 rating was because of language. That's so fucked up, man. It's really fucked up. Yeah. Fucking bullshit. Um, Fuckers. Uh, the D of Old Tang is drugs. So Requiem for a Dream and Pulp Fiction were both given NC-17 ratings because of their portrayal of drugs. Usually other things too. But if you lean really, really heavy on drugs, then they're going to have a hard time. So that's drugs. Uh, especially drugs are a huge issue when talking about teens. The T of Old Tang. Oh yeah. Uh, American Pie and Kids both given NC-17 ratings. American Pie was cut down to get an R. Kids was not. It retained the NC-17 rating. But especially drugs and sex and teens, they really don't care for that mixture. Did this carry over to one of my favorite movies lately, um, uh, Spring Breakers, as you had teens? I didn't see any... I'm not even, I don't think did, it affected that either. Did Spring Breakers get an NC... I think it got an R rating, right? I thought so, too. Spring Breakers was really not that graphic. No, it wasn't. When it came to sex. Like, no, no one except his wife, right, took off her top. I don't remember. Well, I can tell you right now that... Um, I know what's... Uh, Disney Princess, what's yeah, her name, didn't, didn't do it. Dustin Bieber's yeah. girlfriend. I didn't or. find it too... I mean, I think that the fact that... I feel like if that came out in the 90s, it probably would have gotten NC-17 right off the bat. Yeah, it might But it, I think you're right. I think it got R. Anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt. I just, it's it's another Harmony Korine type of yep. Korean movie, and I was wondering about that. Anyway, go ahead. The A in Old Tang stands for abnormal sex. And this is the kind of one that they seem to be the most scared of. So Killer Joe, um, <laughs> you know what scene I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah, William Friedkin, great movie. Yeah, and so it's a scene with a blowjob with a chicken leg. So that... With Gina Gershon, as we talked about earlier. They don't say that that's why it got it. but That's the, why it that's got why it. That's why it got it, yeah. Uh, American Psycho had a threesome. So that movie is is all about murder. It's about a serial killer. Right. But they were like, we don't like that threesome scene where he has sex with two women. That was the scene that had to be cut. They're lucky that they didn't film it from the book verbatim. Yeah. Uh, Eyes Wide Shut where... Um, oh, they, yeah, the orgy scene. They inserted CGI blurry furniture in front of the, in front of the you know, masked orgy sex. I also think if that was released now, it wouldn't have been as big a problem. No, I mean, they're definitely getting more lax as we go. I mean, but, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that, yeah, they put people in front of sex. Yeah. Team America World Police, where puppets engage in every possible position, including a golden shower and a hot lunch. <laughs> and storytelling. Well, they did that, and you know the story behind that. 
they put those in there knowing that they focused so much on that that they would let everything else get slide. And then what happened was that they ended up every time that they sent it back, they would put something worse in there. Right. So they just, even though the MPAA kept saying, no, we're going to give it an NC-17, they would resubmit it, cut out a scene, but then put a worse one in there until finally they were just like, fuck it. Right. It's just whatever. And then, of course, they released it. I mean, nobody saw Team America World Police in the theater anyway. I mean, that was a rental. Right. And everybody saw it with, you know, somebody taking it with a puppet taking a dump on another puppet's face. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I laughed out loud. But yeah, I mean, it was terrible, but yeah. And then the Todd Solon's movie Storytelling, which got an NC-17 rating, d- later got an R rating because he put a giant black box over top of the scene, which they insisted be cut. But a lot, so the scene was an older black man, in this case it was a teacher, was pounding this young white girl, and people were like, they did it because it was a ra- it was a racial thing. Um, if it had been a white person, they wouldn't have. Considering, what, what did Happiness get? Todd Solon's movie. Happiness did not even submit itself to the That's probably for the best. They yeah. just went, they went balls out with the unrated. They well, knew what was going to happen. Analogy. Yeah, because there's, yeah, there's no way. And, and, and happiness isn't, there's no scene you could cut from it. It's an adult film. There's right. every, every part. I don't even think, I mean, it might have a boob or two in it, but like, it's an adult themed movie. There is right. nothing if you bought that screenplay, then you bought an you bought an X-rated film. And I'm going to go on a limb and say Happiness will probably play a big role in a future podcast of ours. So mm-hmm. I don't want to talk about it too much. But anyway, okay. Bodily functions. Right. So anyway. The N in Old Tang is nudity. Uh, obviously, that's male or female. But the biggest thing is a boner. You cannot <laughs> show a boner in an R-rated film, as is evident in Shame or The Dreamers. You can usually get away with a little bit of vag, but if you show lips, like in Time You Up, Time You Down, you're going right to NC-17. Hmm. Yeah. Gore. The first G in Old Tang. Old Tang has two Gs, as yeah. I mentioned. Gore, so natural born killers. Uh, numerous, numerous cuts, including Tommy Lee Jones's head on a stake and a shot through Robert Downey Jr.'s hand. Kill Bill, Robocop, Sana Sangra. Uh, and even the opening scene in Wes Craven's Scream was cut. The Drew Barrymore scene oh, had wow. cut down because it was too graphic. Huh. Still one of my favorite scenes it's in horror great, movie. It's a great opening scene. It's one of his terrifying. best. Yeah. Uh, and the last G of Old Tang is gays. A lot of people say that they're much stricter on, uh, on, on gays in NC-17 films. Like Henry and June, Blue is the Warmest Color, Crash, and Mysterious Skin. That's bullshit. Old Tang. Yep, Old Tang. Here first. Mm-hmm. Premiere right here. So the unrated video craze would pretty much kill off all the remaining dignity of the NC-17 rating that Showgirls left behind. Right. But there was a brief resurgence in 2004 and 2005 with three moderately successful and well-reviewed films. Bernardo Bertolucci was no stranger to the NC-17 rating. His classic Marlon Brando vehicle, Last Tango in Paris, was given an X rating in 1972, which he kept. Right. In 1997, the film was reclassified NC-17 for some sex scenes, but most notably the scene in which Brando lubes up Maria Schneider with a stick of butter and does her in the butt. I forgot about that, but that's all. And this is post-Godfather Marlon Brando. Post Godfather, yeah, yeah that's he what came I mean. off of the Godfather and, and did, did this. So yeah. not necessarily. This wasn't like Streetcar Named Desire, hot brand. Oh no, this was older, <laughs> fatter, brand. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in two thousand four, he kept the NC rating, NC seventeen rating for his film The Dreamers, and it probably did it more good than bad. We already talked about The Dreamers when we talked about nudity in the end of of uh, Old Tang. 
Um, the Dreamers is the story of an American who develops a relationship with a brother and sister. There's a lot of implied incest, which probably contributed to the NC-17 rating, but there is also a scene where Michael Pitt of Hedwig fame has a pretty serious semi to three-quarter boner uh, <laughs> that you would never see in an R-rated film. Right. Even a flash or two of a penis is rare, you know, in an R-rated film, but right. boners are an automatic NC-17, and this was three-quarter boner. Pedro Almodovar would again be denied an R rating with the release of Bad Education, but this time after Timey Up, Timey Down controversy, he accepted the NC-17 and took it like a pro. And it's kind of impossible to explain the plot of Bad Education. Have you seen it? No, I haven't, but I know some of the controversy about it. So. Yeah. It's, well, I will say that I have a list of my top 25 films of all time, and it is in my top five of my okay. favorite movies of all time. So, But it's chock full of murder, sex abusing priests, transsexuals, drugs, and Gail Garcia Bernal and tight whiteies. Uh, it opened the Cannes Film Festival in 2004 and received rave reviews. It went made $40 million in the international box office, uh, although only $5 million of that was in the U.S., but still not bad for a film with a very small target audience. Right. And then the third film was Inside Deep Throats, which is one of the few documentaries to have an NC-17. It was made in 2005. It's the story behind the movie Deep Throat, the first triple X porn film to hit it big at theaters. It's yeah. a, it's an incredible documentary. It's so, so good. But it uses a number of scenes from the original film, and it was a triple X porn. So it's kind of hard to make an R-rated film about a triple X movie. Well, granted, yeah. So it's kind of valid. Ultimately, none of these three films, which you could kind of knock down to a college sex movie, a gay foreign film, or a documentary about a porno, would overall help the cause for an NC-17 film. A few films that had potential of really changing the stigma of an NC-17 film were all films that were cut down to get an R rating. And those three, all Oscar winners, Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Pulp Fiction was actually cut down to an R rating and no one has, besides Tarantino, has seen the original director's cut of it. Like all of that footage is gone. Hmm. Pulp Fiction was cut for an R. Monsters Ball, which was Halle Berry's award-winning film, uh, and Boys Don't Cry, all three of those were cut down for an R rated but, you know, they were the ones that, you know, if they had been successful, critically acclaimed NC-17 films could have completely changed the stigma of the film. Won an Oscar, big directors, big stars. Right. And even the latest uh, two examples, Shame and Blue is the Warmest Color, could both easily be categorized as a sex film or a lesbian sex film. The final nail in the coffin for the NC-17 film was the documentary in 2006 called This Film Is Not Yet Rated. This is a great movie. I own it. It is a documentary that the filmmakers hire investigators to find out who the actual members of the MPAA are. So at least we know the people that are rating our films. I intentionally didn't include a lot of the the information that this film is not yet rated has because I didn't want to do a copycat of that. But they really talk about and, and focus on the difference between sex and violence in the MPAA's mind. That vi pretty much anything you do can get you through the violence uh, screening, but anything that has sex or boners or vag lips is going to definitely get you an NC-17 <laughs> rating. And, and how that's kind of fucked up, because yeah. violence is is more offensive to, to kids, which is why the MPAA exists, than sex. But anyway, we stayed away from that. You should definitely see the film. It's, it's super, super interesting. Yeah. And that pretty much brings us up to date. 
Um, I intentionally didn't bring up Crash because we saw it together right. in 1997 sure on my 17th birthday. Wow. Yeah, it was. One uh-huh. Happy and birthday. And I was legal then to go see an NC-17 film, of which we saw. I think we were one of s- two of six people in the audience. And we became two of... Three people. <laughs> I think I think by it the cleared end of out, which I will say, and and uh, this film was not yet rated. And Old Tang uh, talks about this. Nobody walked out when James Spader fucked a woman's wound, <laughs> fucked the hole in her leg, and everybody mm-hmm. was like, "Oh, that's fine." But in the scene of which there is actual like gay sex, which is the tamest gay sex scene I've ever seen, the whole theater clears out. The movie Crash we're talking about is not the one that won the Oscar for Best Picture about racism this is a david cronenberg movie it's 1997 um, 1996 7 and it's about basically people recreating famous car crashes and then fucking in the wreckage they get sexually they, they turned on by, by car crashes this and i know that sounds odd but it's still a better movie than the oscar-winning crash totally agreed but yeah you're right that people did clear out of that in the theater pretty quick on that which made me like the movie even more yeah not my favorite Cronenberg, but still, I like it, it much it more. It wasn't, and I remember us saying, because we saw that, and then we saw Boogie Nights, I think, the week after. And oh, yeah. we both agreed that for sex movies, Boogie Nights was a much better film. Much better film, yeah. But, you know, I mean, it, it was an unusual film, and and a film that couldn't be made with an R rating. It couldn't There's even no be hell. sold as having an R rating. It just wasn't, it, that would have ruined the movie, so. Right. That's it. That's it. It's great. It's the history of NC-17. Hope you enjoyed it. Oh, sure did. I learned something today. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Slums of Film History. You can find us on the web at slumsoffilmhistory.com, where you can find links to some of the movies we talked about today, as well as Bad Movie Monday, our recommendation for the worst of the worst films every Monday night. Please, please, please fact check us. And if we left something out or got something wrong, let us know in the comment section of each week's topic. We're not professionals, just two friends that love gross movies.